Greetings, friends, to all of God's people. Again, this is Mordecai Joseph, and we are now on tape number three. And at this point, if you remember last time, we came all the way to chapter one, the end of it, and then began chapter two and verse one. And today we're going to begin with chapter two and verse one, but uh, be mindful of the fact that as we go through the Bible, we're going to go back and forth, and uh, oftentimes we may go back to the same scripture, begin from there, and continue on. Uh, they're all relevant, and as we proceed more and more, obviously, the way God wrote the Bible, uh, He reveals more and more, so you always have to go to uh, the point where you began from and add more to it, and that's how you enrich yourself, you become enriched. And uh, knowing that the mind of God is unsearchable, we cannot all package it, nor God can package it all in one, uh, one sentence and tell you everything about it. So it's a natural progress, just like the growth of a human being. You learn a little bit every day, and then they become perfect and complete at the end of the road. So in chapter 2 and verse 1, we read, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. Uh, this statement has an awful lot of background behind it, an awful lot of meaning, and an awful lot of uh, future implications, and to a degree also passing implication. It is speaking, in essence, about several fulfillments of this statement. Uh, this reality that the heavens and the earth were finished didn't happen only once. It happened several times, and the scriptures reveal that as you go forward. In chapter uh, 1 and verse 2, we read, And the earth was without form and without void. Well, in the beginning, we read the verse 1, In the beginning God created, that is, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. And of course, that's a contradiction. If he created, how come it is in chaos and confusion, which is not a creation, but uncreation? Well, obviously, something happened in between. And so we're talking about several fulfillments. Uh, Genesis 1.1, in essence, is speaking about the first one, the first time where God created the heavens and the earth. And when he does, he does it in absolute perfection. Then, later on, uh, the angels, we have known that Creation uh, obviously had done something that uh, turned it uh, into something else. And verse 2 bears witness to that. As we proceed through the scriptures, we learn more and more. There were angels, and there was a great rebellion, and there was Lucifer. Uh, for example, Job, chapter 38, and verses 4 and 7, God is confronting Job, and he's telling him something that uh, obviously he had known, but he had to uh, illuminate him even more and bring something to his attention, that God created a wonderful, majestic, glorious universe, and Job wasn't there, but the sons of God, that is the angels, they were there, and when they beheld it, it says they shouted with joy. And the question to Job is, where were you when I've done that, when the angels were there to see it, but you were not? In Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, we read more about uh, Lucifer, a spirit being that lived obviously before Genesis 1-2, where it became chaos and confusion because it describes an awesome, glorious, majestic creation in which Lucifer dwelt. And in Jude 6, uh, that is verse 6, we read about the angels who did not keep their first domain or proper or own uh, place. And I'm not going to elaborate too much on that at this point. That will come later on when we reach chapter 3 and verse 1 when we speak about the serpent. But anyway, it gives you a background, but the first one, the first fulfillment of that, and verse 2 tells you that something happened in between, in which case God had to recreate, in essence, and alter what has been uh, destroyed or uh, rendered into chaos and confusion. 
And so we, in essence, are reading about the second fulfillment of uh, Genesis 2.1, about the heavens and the earth, and all the hosts of them were finished. Uh, it's an ongoing process, in essence, but has several fulfillments to it. Isaiah 45 and verse 18 explains Genesis 1.1 and what happened in between and how Genesis 1.2 came to be. It basically tells us that God did not create it in a state of chaos and confusion. In Genesis 1-2, we read that the earth became, or was, or became, the two are uh, synonymous in this case, uh, tohu vavohu, in other words, chaos and confusion in Hebrew. And Isaiah says, no, it was not created in a state of tohu, that means confusion. So, there is a story behind it. And uh, in essence, there was a first one, finishing with the heavens and the earth, and now there was a second one, which chapter 1 explains. And in chapter 2, now we begin a different story. Now in verse 2 of, ch of uh, chapter 1, we read, And the Spirit of God was hovering above the earth. In other words, you might say there is a double meaning to this uh, statement. What does it mean the Spirit of God was hovering over the earth? Uh, what's the purpose of a Spirit hovering over the earth? What does the word itself, Spirit, in this case, mean? Does it mean only the nature uh, substance of it, that is the power, the wind that you see blowing here and there, or did it have something to do with a far greater and far deeper uh, reality in terms of the Spirit of God? So I think at this point we should uh, discuss for a while the Spirit of God, that is the identity of the Spirit of God, the background, the context, which would lead us to the meaning of this uh, statement of the Spirit of God was hovering above the waters. Remember last time I mentioned that the spirit here, the Ruach in Hebrew, uh, is in the feminine form and throughout uh, the Hebrew scriptures it, it appears generally in the feminine form. And it has a double meaning. In Genesis 6 and verse 3, God is saying, My spirit or my Ruach uh, shall not strive with men forever. And then, as you proceed throughout the scriptures, you see more and more God is using this word, the spirit or the ruach, but he explains it in different ways. And only when you go through many scriptures, you begin to get a good understanding of what it really means. So we are going to do just that now before we proceed. And we're going to explore this subject of the spirit of God in order to have a better understanding of the Genesis account. In John 4, verse 24, you remember what Jesus Christ told the Samaritan woman, God is spirit. God is spirit. He is not flesh and blood. He is not mortal. He is spirit. In Hebrews 1, and verse 7, we are told also that the angels of God are spirits, and his ministers are flaming fire. Uh, at this point, the writer is quoting Psalm 104, and verse 4. And so not only God is spirit, but also his angels are spirits. And in the book of Acts, chapter 28 and verse 25, uh, let's turn to this one very quickly. We're going to be turning into scriptures back and forth. And here Paul is saying something very interesting that we should uh, illuminate us a little bit to what the spirit is all about. Because a lot of people are a bit confused about it, and that's the reason for the creation of the uh, theory, I call it a theory because they say it's a mystery of the Trinity. They don't really explain it, just like an evolution. Because they supposedly come with all kinds of facts, and uh, after that they say, well, it's a theory. 
in this case they say uh, the Spirit of God is a trinity, but we don't understand it. It's a mystery. Reality is the same. But Paul is telling us uh, something about the Spirit here in Acts 28 and verse 25. You remember he, he spoke to his own people uh, when he arrived at Rome at the end of his ministry, so to speak, uh, appearing before Caesar. And they came to him and explained to them the mystery of the kingdom, all about those things. And some agreed and some did not. Some were persuaded, some were not in verse 24. And so verse 25 we read, So when did when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so I should heal them. On one hand, he's saying the Holy Spirit is speaking. At the end of the passage, he says, so I shall heal them. Who is that Holy Spirit and who is that I shall heal them? Well, let's go to Isaiah, the place where he's quoting it from. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse... Uh, Chapter 6, we'll begin with verse 6, where he's telling us who is that Holy Spirit. As we go through the scriptures, you'll see more and more as we put things together what, it, what the Holy Spirit is all about. I think there is an awful lot of confusion there and uh, partial uh, misunderstanding even on the part of uh, many of us in the Church of God, among the people of God who think that we know it better than others. And I think we too can learn a few things. In chapter 6, uh, Isaiah is telling us, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. So he's speaking about God. God is appearing to him, and the holy angels around him. You know, the seraphim, verse 2, stood around him with six wings. And they cried one to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So he's making it very plain. God is the one appearing to him. The angels around him, God is spirit, the holy angels are spirit, and this one is the Lord of hosts. And Isaiah says, uh, so I said in verse 5, Woe is me, for I am done, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now remember, as Paul was referring to these very scriptures, he's saying the Holy Spirit spoke, here we are reading that God is the one that Paul is referring to. And this God is the King of Israel, the Lord of hosts. And verse 8, uh, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Who is he? God. Paul says the Holy Spirit spoke. Here we are reading, God is the one speaking. Go and tell these people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of the people dull, and so forth. In other words, he is quoting exactly what Paul said later on. But Paul is calling, calling this personage here the Holy Spirit. While Isaiah at this point is saying that this is God, the God of Israel. Verse 11, Paul say, I mean, Isaiah is saying, Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, and basically he's telling him how long God is going to uh, bring this uh, delusion or 
partial blindness, as Paul would call it later on, upon Israel. So the conversation here is between Isaiah and the God of Israel, the Lord of hosts, the King of the universe. Paul later on, knowing that very well, is not calling God, God, or the King of Israel, or the Lord, he's calling in the Holy Spirit. Why is he doing it? Well, we shall continue and see more and more. And remember, we're trying to explain verse uh, 2 now. The, the Spirit of God is hovering about the waters and trying to make a link here. So we go now to First uh, Peter and uh, verse 1, that is chapter 1 and verses 10 and 11, where we shall have more information about this matter. As a matter of fact, there is an awful lot here. We are going to go through uh, several of them, not all of them. But to give us the biblical understanding there teachings that God has recorded as time went by, and the manner in which God reveals his truth. He doesn't do it all in one place, and he doesn't use always the same words, and we have to have the background and the context, put it all together, and then we know what he means in every given passage. First uh, Peter, in chapter 1, and verses uh, 10 and 11, we read what Peter is saying about the prophets of God. He says, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, who was in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. So here, Peter is referring to the Spirit of Christ that was in the prophets. What does it mean, the Spirit of Christ? being in the prophets. Let's continue with chapter, with the, in the book of Acts, chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. In the book of Acts, we read a scripture that has confused an awful lot of people, and therefore, that uh, is another reason why they came up in their own mind, not understanding all things, not having a background, not having the context, and therefore not understanding the meaning, they ended up saying, well, the Spirit must be a person. And that's the way it sounds if you not put everything together and have a proper understanding of what it really means. In Acts chapter 13, we read in verse 1, And now in the church that was at Antioch, where there are certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, and so forth, and as the minister in verse 2, to the Lord, the minister to the Lord, and fasted, the Holy Spirit. First it says the minister to the Lord, then it says the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Always remember, who is the head of the body? Who is the head of the church? Jesus Christ. So who is the one running the show? Is it the Holy Spirit or is it Jesus Christ? Well, here there is a confusion in the minds of many if you do not understand the whole context and the background and put it all together and come up with a proper understanding. As we shall continue, we'll bring more and more scriptures until we end up with a very simple, plain, clear understanding of what it is that the scripture is telling us all along. In Acts chapter 8, we read about Philip. Philip is on his way to Samaria. Remember, there was a great persecution in, uh, in Jerusalem because of what Paul had done to the church, uh, the killing of Stephen. And so the church is dispersed, and Philip finds himself in Samaria. Verse 26, we read, Now the angel, or that is, now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Mind you, 
angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he does. As we continue the story in verse 29, now we read, Then the Spirit said to Philip, Verse 26, we read, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Who is the angel of the Lord? There is an identity question here. In verse 29, we read, Then the Spirit said to Philip. And then we continue to verse 39. In verse 39, the story is over. Uh, the eunuch uh, was baptized. And in verse 39, as soon as that was over, we read now, Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit... Oh, the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. Verse 26, an angel of the Lord we read. Verse 29, then the Spirit said to, to Philip. In verse 39, now the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. Are uh, those related? Is it one person? Uh, is anyone uh, of them here is a different uh, personality? Or are they all one? The angel of the Lord... The Spirit and the Spirit of the Lord are basically one person. Uh, if we want to uh, jump the gun here, basically I would say we are speaking about one person, and that is Jesus Christ. Introduced at different times in the Bible by different names, because he is all of these things. Uh, people that don't put it all together, I have a difficulty understanding what it really means. Uh, as far as the identity of the angel of the Lord, at uh, different time we'll go through it. I'll have a special study just for that, with the angel of the Lord from Genesis to Revelation. And so in Romans uh, chapter 8 and verse 16 and 26, we have a little bit more information here, and then we'll come back to Acts again. In chapter 8, again, information about the Spirit. Paul is telling us something very interesting. Well, actually, throughout the whole chapter, he speaks about the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of the Lord. And verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. In other words, earlier as he said, now, in verse 9, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And now in verse 16, it says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Who is that Spirit? Is it a person? Is it the power of God? Is it Jesus Christ? I think it is made very plain and very obvious when he put it all together. And then in verse 26, he says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession. Of course, some say, well, it's actually itself. Uh, I don't think that is correct, itself. I think himself is much more correct, because as we put it all together, we shall see who the Spirit is that Paul is talking about in all the other scriptures. So, the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Realize that we have no other intercessor but Jesus Christ. Christ is the only intercessor. Therefore, when it says the Spirit himself, therefore when it says the Spirit of Christ, therefore when it says the Spirit of the Lord, and so forth, or the Spirit, or the Holy Spirit is always talking about Jesus Christ. When he wants to talk about the Spirit in terms of the power of God, the context will tell, will tell us that, basically. But in most cases, and some people did not realize it, that God himself, being Spirit, is also called the Spirit and is also called the Holy Spirit. And that confused people in whose mind is darkness and not light. We should not be of that category. 
Let's always remember who is the head of the church. Who appoints leaders in the church? Who calls this person or that person? Who separates Paul to the ministry? Paul makes it very plain. It is Jesus Christ. As it said in Galatians, when it pleased the Father to reveal His Son in me. And that's when the, when the God of Israel and the person of Christ appeared before the prophets and said, of course, there you see, and the Holy Spirit said, but Christ is speaking and says, separate unto me Barnabas and Paul. In other words, it, it is Jesus Christ, the head of the church, who is speaking all along. And people not having understanding always got confused and began to invent doctrines. Uh, some call even wisdom a person. Uh, we call it uh, a woman, so to speak, in the feminine form. And she was with God all along. Well, uh, the Bible basically interprets the Bible. We have to put it all together to understand that. And now let's go back to, to the book of Acts, chapter 16 and verse 6. We read more about the Spirit. And in this case, uh, we read about Paul trying to go to a certain area, and he could not go over there, and he gives a reason for it. In chapter 16 and verse 6, he says, Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit forbid? Well, he's speaking really about Jesus Christ. And that is something, unfortunately, people did not understand, that Jesus Christ had many names. This is, only, this is also just uh, one of his names, uh, the Holy Spirit, because he is holy and he is spirit. God is spirit. God is holy. So he's the Holy Spirit, and he can introduce himself by whatever he is. And so that's what, what we read here. Uh, Paul, being led by the head of the church, who is Jesus Christ, was forbidden at this point. But Christ did not choose to introduce himself here as Jesus Christ but he introduced himself as the Holy Spirit, because he is. You know, those who understand have no problem with that, but those who are unlearned, as Peter said, about some of the writings of Paul, for that matter, the prophets, are wrestling with the scriptures to their own destruction. Don't really understand what it really means. In Acts 21 and verse 10, we read about the prophet Agabus. Uh, Paul is on his way back to Jerusalem. That was his last trip to Jerusalem. And everybody says the Holy Spirit well, the Spirit is warning everywhere that all kind of trials and troubles are going to come upon Paul. And so at this point, uh, we read in uh, Acts chapter 21 what the prophet Agabus did. And uh, verse 10 we read, And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, uh, probably from Jerusalem. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit. Now, all along from Genesis forward, we always read, Thus says the Lord. What we don't realize that God many times appears in, Thus says the Holy Spirit, and He's still speaking about the same person. And that's what confused many people. I don't think it is in malice or wickedness or viciousness that people, you know, uh, came up with this doctrine. I think just ignorance of the Scriptures and not really being led by the Holy Spirit to understand truth. And so he says, that says the Holy Spirit. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And that should be confusing unless you know what he's really talking about. Uh, there are an awful lot of scriptures that make it very plain. Uh, notice, Paul had no problem understanding it. The New Testament church had no problem understanding all the scriptures about the Holy Spirit. It was never an, uh, an issue. It's only when ignoramuses entered into the church and grievous wolves and uh, liars and, uh, you know, the false prophets, they perverted everything 
and invented all kind of other doctrines to create a new religion. Basically, the spirit of delusion was in them, inventing all those things. First Peter, in chapter 1, uh, verses 10 and 11, uh, we read, I'm sorry, I think I already read this one. Yes, I read this one, that's about the spirit of Christ. So, uh, I would not uh, repeat it again. But then again, uh, there is making it very plain. It was the spirit of Christ always speaking in the prophets. It was the spirit of Christ always speaking through the apostles. And it was the Spirit of Christ that is speaking through us. And the Spirit of Christ is Christ. I have a Spirit, you have a Spirit, the Spirit in man, what is the Spirit? It's me. So if my Spirit speaks, it means I speak. That's all it means. Uh, it's as simple as that. My, my finger doesn't speak, my hand doesn't speak, my mouth doesn't speak. It's just a physical thing. It's really the Spirit that speaks through the mouth. And so the Spirit of Christ is Christ. And we shall see it more clearly later on. Acts 23 and verse 9. Uh, there again, here are the, the Pharisees, uh, still, though they were Pharisees, physical people, but they had an understanding, and we missed that scripture as we read it, I'm sure, many times. Acts 23, remember when Paul was brought before the Sanhedrin, he was going to defend himself, and he, uh, and he was uh, uh, confronting there the, the high priest, he was confronting the, the Pharisees, and he knew, he knew very, very uh, shrewdly how to, in essence, properly speaking, manipulate both groups to his own advantage. And so we read in Acts 23 and verse 9. And there arose a loud outcry, and the scribes and of the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man. But, notice, if a spirit or an angel. What does it mean, if a spirit or an angel? An angel is a spirit. So if an angel is a spirit, so what is a spirit? They were plainly talking about God because that was another idiom for God, the Spirit. Remember what Moses called God? God, the gods of the spirits. You see, God is Spirit, and God is Spirit, and God is introduced also as Spirit. And so if you, if you say, well, the Holy Spirit, or you say the Spirit, or you say the Spirit of the Lord, or you say the Spirit of Christ, or you say the Spirit of the Father, or the Spirit of God, you are talking about those two people, you know, those two beings. Uh, God, the Father, or the one that became Christ. In either case, it's a spirit. Let's go to a very interesting scripture in Second uh, Samuel 23, where he makes it very plain, uh, this uh, reality. Uh, remember, David, uh, servant of God, he had an understanding about the Father, and he had an understanding about uh, the Son. Uh, he didn't call them by those names, but remember when he said, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit at my right hand, in other words, he did understand uh, that there are two beings there. And so, this is what he tells us in Second uh, Samuel chapter 23, and verses 1 and 3. Uh, now, these are the last words of David. And notice the words. Thus says David the son of Jesse. This is what David is saying. Thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. And this is what he's saying, verse 2, very critical. The Spirit, or the Ruach, the Spirit of the Lord, spoke by me. And his word was upon my tongue. The God of Israel said, the Ruach of Israel spoke by me. So what is he doing here? He's saying that the Spirit of the Lord, and he's saying that the God of Israel, and he's saying that the Ruach of Israel... They're all one person. He's just repeating it poetically. 
First, he calls it the Spirit of the Lord. You might as well say the Holy Spirit. He said, the Spirit of the Lord spoke by me. As Peter said, the Spirit of Christ spoke by the prophets. Oh, the God of Israel. Oh, the rock of Israel. They're all one person. He's just repeating it poetically. In Job chapter 33, uh, 33 verse 4, Job is saying, The Spirit of God, that is the work of God, has made me. That means God made me. You see? And the breath of the Almighty, or Neshama, Nishmat Adonai, the breath of God. Uh, Neshama in Hebrew is uh, referred to the soul. And uh, he's speaking about uh, the, the soul of God. Nishmat Adonai, or the breath of God, of the Almighty, gives me life. And this word, Neshama, or breath, is very interesting. Uh, we shall see more of that uh, later. John 20 and verses 21 and 22, about this neshama, or soul, or breath of God. Uh, they're all synonymous. They're all linked. They're all interwoven. And until you put all of these together, you really don't get the picture very clearly. And so let's go to chapter 20, where Jesus Christ appears uh, one of the last times uh, before the, uh, the apostles, before the book of Acts, where he ascended up to heaven. And he appears to them, in, uh, we read it in John 20, verses 21 and 22. And we read here, uh, when he had said this, that is, he's speaking to them, before that he says, peace unto you. When he had said this, uh, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And uh, verse 21, so Jesus said to them again, peace to you, or peace be upon you, shalom aleichem in Hebrew. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed, you know, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. You see the word for breathing, which is neshama, or to breathe. And what do you breathe? You know, if you uh, make that sound loudly, you feel a sort of wind coming out of your mouth. So the wind, the spirit, the breath, the soul, they're all linked, all interconnected. And they're all one in that sense. Let us have different uh, uh, understandings in different places, and the context will tell you exactly what he's talking about. And sometimes breath is just a physical thing. Other times the breath of God is the spirit of God. Other times the breath of God is speaking about his very soul, which is him. And so he's saying, uh, in this case, that through breathing, as we shall read later on in verse uh, 7, in chapter 2 of Genesis, that when God created man, he formed him of the dust of the earth, and then he breathed, into him the breath of life. And that's how the spirit of man entered into him and gave him life. So breath, in that sense, is used as a, spirit, as a spiritual context, uh, not just a physical one. And so that's what he did. He gave him the Holy Spirit by breathing. In Ezekiel 37, we read more about this breathing process and the life that comes as a consequence of that. In, in uh, the chapter that you're all familiar with, of the Valley of the Dry Bones, in Ezekiel 37, we read about a process of taking death, that is, dead matter, and giving it life. And in essence, he's talking here about the, the children of Israel, the whole house of Israel. And that's what he's telling Ezekiel, uh, to initiate the process, and of course, God is the one doing it through him. But in Ezekiel 37, verses 7 and 8, uh, we read, So I prophesied, because God gave him a command, uh, in verse 6, I will put 
uh, well, let's, let's actually go back to verse uh, 5. And thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. Life and breath. In other words, the spirit that is in man that makes it possible for him to be alive and think and function and, and, and feel and have intelligence is linked to the breath. But it's not talking about only but the physical one. Breath here is in the context of the spiritual uh, element because breath is wind and wind is spirit. Uh, they're all linked. And it says, and I will put, verse 6, sinews upon you and bring flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Uh, then you shall know that I am the Lord. Uh, verse 7, so I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a noise, and, a, and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone, because the wind was now active, and putting things together. But the wind is spirit, and the spirit is the spirit of God, and the spirit of God is God. It's not just something totally apart from Him. Our spirit cannot... Uh, necessarily create things in terms of uh, 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 creation that God uh, does. Our spirit can uh, guide us and now take this part and now put it together and now there it is. Now you've got a new creation there, a machine or whatever it may be. We function in a different way. God functions in a, in a similar way but uh, also different at the same time. But we both create uh, by the spirit that is in us with the guidance and direction of it. In verse 8, indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, and there was no breath in them. Also, he said to me, prophesy to the breath. The word breath here is in Hebrew, ruach. So ruach is equated here with breath. And breath is ruach, and ruach is spirit, and spirit is the spirit of God. So the whole context is about the same thing. Prophesy, son of man, say to the breath, or say to the wind, or to the spirit. Thus says the Lord God. Come from, come from the four winds. Breath and winds are the same word, but in English, for one they put breath, for the other they put wind. And uh, the word wind and spirit, as I said, are the same. So it says, come from the four winds, or breath, or, or spirit, or, or ruach in Hebrew, and breathe on this slain that they may live. And so I prophesied, and that's exactly what happened. In other words, God is making very plain. His breath, His spirit... It's Him. It proceeds from Him. It's Him. And they're all linked. And so this is what we read in verse 9. Then we go to verse 14. Verse 14, it tells them, And I will put my spirit, exactly the same word, my ruach, or my wind, in you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. In this case, he's still not speaking about uh, giving them the Holy Spirit. In this case, he's telling them, but I will put my spirit in you, then you're going to have life. And after that comes the process of the conversion, when I is going to put his Holy Spirit in them. But the spirit that God placed in men, which is called the spirit in men, is also the spirit of God. It comes from him. It doesn't come from any angel. And so the spirit in man is the spirit of God. Only it's a limited one. Sort of a down payment to the down payment of the Holy Spirit that comes later on. Sort of a tithe of the tithe. And uh, that's exactly what he's talking about. In John chapter 3 and verses 3 8, you know this story very well. Uh, Nicodemus comes to Jesus Christ. He wants to know about this process of being born again. Well, actually, uh, Christ is the one introducing the subject. But uh, Nicodemus wants to know, what is it behind Jesus Christ? And 
Christ is explaining to him something that somehow John had, a, uh, that is Nicodemus had a difficult time understanding. But Christ put it in, in a very simple way that we do understand uh, because we have the Spirit. Uh, at that point, Nicodemus didn't fully understand what he's talking about. But one thing we see here, he's equating the Spirit and the wind as one. Because they are one in that sense. And so he wants to know how does a man uh, get to be born again and enter into the kingdom. And Jesus Christ tells him, uh, most assuredly in verse 5, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, that is, and the wind, and the wind is the Spirit, and the Spirit is God, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit or the wind is spirit, or is wind, or is spirit. Do not marvel that I say what I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So Christ is not using, in one case, wind, and in another case, Spirit. Christ is basically using the same word in both cases, the wind and the wind. But one is equating the physical nature, a force that God put in motion, which is the wind that blows leaves and all that, with his own Spirit. You see, they all proceed from God. Uh, they don't proceed from themselves. And God puts the two together to make them one. And so, Jesus Christ basically makes it very plain. The Spirit and the wind are the same. And then he explains also who it is. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verses 42 and 48, you know, uh, that is 42 and 48, you know about the, the subject of the resurrection. About the body being mortal, becoming spirit, from corruption to incorruption. About the first man who was mortal and yet had a spirit in him. And that spirit, obviously, uh, doesn't have an eternity unless God gives it also a spirit body. And so man is physical with a spirit in him. Angels are spirit with a body that is spiritual. God is spirit. He is spiritual. He has a spiritual body and he has a spirit in him. But you see, all of these are linked. Matthew 10:28, God says something very, very interesting. He says, do not fear those who can destroy your body, but cannot kill the soul. What do you mean? If the soul is a physical thing, how is it that they cannot kill the soul? Well, God says, no. The body is a physical. The soul he's referring here, obviously, to the spirit. Because the soul and spirit are synonymous. That's why even God himself uh, oftentimes speaks about his own soul. Uh, if any man, uh, uh, let's say, follows me and then uh, does not continue all the way, he says, my soul shall not have pleasure in him. Or to Israel, he says many times, and my soul shall abhor you. He's speaking about his spirit. He's speaking about himself. And uh, the soul is not a living, breathing animal, as uh, has been taught at uh, one time. That's a very limited concept. And uh, God is saying his soul is his spirit. But Paul, uh, that is, Jesus Christ is telling us, don't fear those who can kill body, but cannot kill the soul, but fear God who can kill both body and soul in hell. That is, in the lake of fire. In other words, God can breathe the spirit into man. God can ex extinguish that spirit in man. In Ezekiel, we read that the soul that sins, it shall die. And he's not talking only about the body. He's talking exactly about what Christ was saying, that God can kill both your body and your soul. He can extinguish it. In uh, Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 14 uh, and 20, or the, uh, actually chapter, chapter 18, verse 4 and 20. 
uh, both soul, in other words, and body, can be destroyed. So Christ is a spirit being. He's a spirit body. He's eternal. He became a physical being with the spirit of God in him. And that spirit was Christ. So Christ is a spirit being. Adam and Eve were created as a physical being, but the spirit of God was in them. Not the spirit of God in the sense of the begetal that gives them immortal life, that makes them eternal because their body was not eternal. But the spirit that came from God to give them life to begin with, and that's why they became known as sons of God, children of God. Uh, to be created in the image and likeness of God. Second Corinthians, uh, chapter 3 and verse 13. Let's turn to this one because here, in essence, Christ is making it very plain uh, through the Apostle Paul. What is it that he's talking about? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, a spirit. You see, people get confused because they do not put everything together. Uh, they read, Elijah went up to heaven and says, Aha, people go up to heaven. Uh, they read about the Holy Spirit and say, Aha, the Spirit is a spirit being, is a person. Uh, it doesn't work that way. Second Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17. We read that very plain statement. Uh, in verse 15, But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart, not, not only on their heart of the children of Israel, but everybody else who is reading it. Uh, nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. That implies everyone. Now, verse 17, Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You might say, the Lord is the Holy Spirit. The Lord is Spirit. The Lord is the angel of the Lord. That is, Jesus Christ is the messenger of His Father. In all those cases we read the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, uh, there is no need to, to say, well, no, the Holy Spirit is not a person. If you do understand what it is talking about, you do understand the Holy Spirit is a person. The person of God. The person of Christ. Not a third one. And that's where humanity went into confusion on both ends. Some say it's not, some say it is. Uh, put it all together and you get the real uh, reality there. And so when we come to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, when God creates man in his image and in his likeness, we read this, uh, verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed, into his nostrils, that means sent spirit, sent wind into his nostrils, and that's how he received the breath of life. And at that point, man became a living being. And so when God calls on the resurrection to occur, that's exactly what he does. He sends the breath of life into those who are dead, and they become living beings. Only we become now the second Adam, not the first Adam, just like as Christ himself who was, in essence, like the first Adam in the flesh, after he died, when he was born, now he became so, uh, the second Adam. Now he became a spirit being who has the spirit of God in him and who is God also. <coughs> and now for a conclusion, we shall go to two more scriptures in the book of Luke and then Matthew. In the book of Luke, in chapter 1, we read about the conception of Jesus Christ where the holy angels appear to, to Mary, uh, verses 26 to 35. In uh, verse 34, when he appears to her, she says to him, Well, how can this be when he announces to him the conception of Jesus Christ through her, being a virgin? And the angel, verse 35, answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. In other words, the Holy Spirit who will come upon her is the Father. And His power, it is through His power, the power of the Holy Spirit, 
that is going to overshadow her that the Holy One is going to be born and therefore is going to be called the Son of God because the Holy Spirit here in this scripture is very plainly speaking about the Father who is coming upon her through His Spirit, which is His power. And so that is made very plain here. And then in the book of Matthew, chapter 1, the same story we read now. In this case, Gabriel is coming to Joseph. In verse 18, uh, we read that Joseph finds out in uh, the last part of verse 18 that uh, when they were betrothed, before she, they came together, she was found with a child of the Holy Spirit. In other words, that child was begotten by the Holy Spirit, which is the Father. Then in verse 20 we read, But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And it seems to be very plain that God makes it very plain to Joseph that the Holy Spirit is the Father, and Joseph did not seem to have any difficulty understanding that. And so we see very plainly the identity of the Holy Spirit. Uh, next time, we're going to go back to, cha to Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. And until then, this is again Mordecai Joseph setting greetings to God's people. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide Website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions? The Bible 